Thanks for being here at the podcast today. Let's uh, check out the sermon for this past. December for this past week. Let's check it out as we figure it out. This morning we'll be in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so if you have your Bible and want to turn there and your copy of God's Word, we will be in Ecclesiastes this morning in our time of worship. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting in verse 7 and going through chapters 5, verse 7. Well, this morning what we're going to kind of talk about is the Christian, which is a believer in Christ, redeemed by his grace and mercy, one who has been washed in his blood that has left behind a, a level of sinfulness, understanding that Christ is our redeemer, Christ is our savior. And as I shared previously and last week, we have been the ones who are like Thomas at some point. We had to note and see the hands with the nail prints and, and see the hole in his side. And when we became knowledgeable about Christ and accepted him as Lord and Savior, it put us on a path of lifelong discipleship. So the Christian is descriptive of a redeemed life, but also the Christian is descriptive of a lifelong disciple. So those are synonymous in what we're talking about this morning, but we're talking about advancement as well. Christian advancement, we think about moving ahead, we think about going ahead, we think about getting ahead. So advancement, uh, albeit in certain senses, is not a, not a detrimental thing, meaning it doesn't, it doesn't cause us or others to stumble in certain degrees. Now advancement at the cost of others, that does cause very much issues in the lives of those around us, and it causes them to to make choices they wouldn't otherwise make. So we as Christians, number one, we as Christians are to have concern for all peoples that were created to know God. We as Christians are to have a concern for all peoples that were created to know God. So that means we have to have a measure of concern for each and every person. Every person was created unique and created to know God. Every person was created to embrace and understand what salvation is. Every person is given that choice. So we are to have a concern for all peoples that were created to know God. And we must have a compassion for the hurt and downtrodden. In our own lives, it is very, very easy to get enamored by our own schedule, isn't it? Enamored by the nine to five or, or if you work late nights or whatever, it is easy to get into the, the kind of schedule we're in and get sort of a tunnel vision to which we don't see what's going on around us or we don't see the needs that God has set before us that we can help have compassion, help for those who are downtrodden, those who are sick, those who are going through illnesses that don't make sense to us, but going through an illness or going through a life struggle or going through a temptation or a time of death in their lives. It is compassion 
that speaks to the heart and helps them to know God. But also, Scripture tells us, again, that they will know us by our love. See, as Christian believers, we are meant to love those, even those unlike us. Even those that struggle differently than we do. Even those who are going through things which we can't fully develop and understand in our own human mind. In the previous two years in my life, I've dealt with depression and anxiety. That's something you can't explain to people. But nonetheless, it is a battle just as much physical as it is spiritual. It is a battle to which many of you have came alongside of me and have prayed with me and prayed for me. And as of about a week, I am medicine free. And God is doing something exceptional in my life. And that's not everybody's case. But I do tell you this, that God in the power of prayer and concern for others can. You can't hardly get next to him, can you? Be honest. Some of y'all wake up in the morning and say, it's too early for that kind of joy. It's too early for that kind of stuff. You can't be that happy all the time, can you? And you encounter people that it seems like life's cares and struggles just kind of go over their shoulder and kind of just melt off to the side. And they seem to have this joy and they radiate God's love and they understand. I had, I'm telling you, I had many spiritual giants in my life and there's not many that would compare to the grandparents that I've had in my life. I had a grandmother, we called her Mammy. Now, Mammy, she would be able to tell you probably any song or any scripture verse, just as you and I are talking about casual conversation. You and I might be talking about a game of this or a game of that or something, and she could somehow interject scripture into what was being said or a song. We could be sitting around watching PBS, eating cheese and crackers, working crossword puzzles, and she could put somehow the Word of God into the midst of all of that and could turn the conversation to a point of understanding of what God's love does for us. So we are meant to radiate God's love. We are meant to have that joy in our lives. We are meant to do that as we have a compassion for others. So let's look at verses 7 through 8 as it talks about this concern. Again, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and then we're going to start in verse 7 and go to verse 8. It says this, Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother there was no end to his toil for his yet his eyes were not content with this wealth for whom i am toiling he asked and why am i depriving myself of enjoyment this too is meaningless a miserable business there was no joy there was no concern there was no compassion there was no understanding that the common man is more important than myself. And, and we are in a great and mighty society. And many would say we have more things than we ever have before. Or we have more means of communication than we ever have before. But I would digress to say that you and I live in a generation where we don't communicate effectively anymore. We don't have a concern for our neighbors. We don't have a concern for those in great need. And I'm not just talking about giving a handout. I'm talking about spiritual need. Because each and every one of us have our own physical needs, have our own uh, you know, needs that we understand with the senses, or even have the, our own basic needs that we feel like we need met. The greatest need for humanity today is the spiritual need that is in our society right now.
We can fill our pockets with wealth. We can have the greatest house, the greatest life, the greatest things, but we will never have what we need apart from the spiritual means of who God is. How we become a Christian is our identification with Him. So we are meant to radiate His love. But we are also, secondly, we were never intended to fight alone. Now, if you're asleep this morning already, I want to say it one more time. We were never intended to fight alone. This entirety of this world, what it will do is it will make us feel like our struggles, our things we're going through, our life's uh, issues are singularly given to us and we have to carry that burden alone. Scripturally speaking, as Christians, as believers, as understanding of what redemption is, then what happens? We understand that we never walk alone when Christ is with us. Christ said He will never ever leave us nor forsake us. That wherever I believe He sends us to go, He will go with us. It's not like you're on your own. That's a big problem I didn't see coming. God says, I got this. I knew that struggle was coming. I knew that valley was coming. I knew that time was coming. I knew that sickness was coming. I knew that was going to happen in your life. Don't forget I'm still there beside you. And what a great encouragement it is to understand that we were never intended to fight alone. And many of us have, have spent many days, whether it be hospital or sickness or the death of a loved one or, or something in our life, a struggle, a temptation, and there's been someone who believes in Christ who's came alongside of us, and on this day we can say that meant the world to us. Amen? You've had that person that came along to encourage you in just the right time and just the right way. And you say, well, how did that person know what needed to be said? That's the power of God at work. And that they don't need to fight alone. And so we, we deal with these fights in life. What are some of those things we deal with? We deal with mental illness. We deal with temptation. We deal with divorce. We deal with abuse in our lives. And we deal with all of these things. And they are all evidence of a fallen society that has embraced the flesh at the cost of the divine creator. See, the world around us has fully engaged in the world and not engaged in who Christ is in their lives. The world around us has said that our values and our morals that were once so important and paramount to our society, even foundational to how we live, are no longer important. And so they've abandoned those things in their lives. But as Christian believers, we must understand that we don't need to fight this alone. That two, in fact, are better than one. When I go through battles in my life, and I know that God is beside me, I don't say that this is going to be an easy road as if I would not struggle, or if I don't falter or fall some days, because I do. But what I will say is that God will never abandon me in that midst of that. So we too are to stand with each other. Let's look at verses 9 through 11 of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Starting in verse 9, it says this, 
Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If any of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep each other warm. But how can we keep warm alone? Though many have may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. We were never intended to go at this life alone. And the enemy wants us to go in this life alone, doesn't he? He wants us to singularly feel like and be taught that what? That we're struggling and we're dealing with something that's never been dealt before. Or what we're dealing with, what we're tempted with, what we're going through is something that we never, that, that God never it came up in the Bible. But I'm telling you, everything that I've encountered in this life and everything you will encounter in this life, the divine already has an answer for. And we are to have compassion for others. We are to fight together because why? Because the Bible says clearly, you have something I don't have. You have a strength, a spiritual gift, a, a measure of compassion, of, of, of welcoming, of, of just so many things that you offer that I don't have. So when I stand with you and you stand with me as a Christian believer, what happens? We're stronger aren't we? We're stronger because God gives us what we need to be able to fight. And so we look at this passage and we see that we were never meant to stand alone. We were never meant to do that because we can be overpowered individually. Amen? How many of you spend long nights awake? I did that last night. About 4 a.m. this morning, I think I went to sleep. But we spend nights where we struggle and we deal with things and it goes and plays in our mind like a broken cassette. If you don't know what cassette is or a broken record, I'll, I'll go farther back. Or a you, you, How far back we need to go? Uh, I would say a cracked CD, but some people wouldn't even get that. But, you know, it just keeps going over and over and over and over and it doesn't quite go away. But we understand we can be overpowered individually but we are strong together. Verse 12, as I read ahead too far, I will read it again. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. If you're one of those that likes to highlight, mark, underline, or put an asterisk or something beside that, that is something that is a reminder for you and I that we, if we try to do this thing alone, life, if we try to live alone in life, we may be overpowered, but two can defend themselves. And then a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And I know what it means. In life, when we struggle through something to have a brother or sister in Christ come up next to you, what it means when someone says that they have been praying for you each and every morning and they wanted you to know that and with all sincerity in their heart you understand that they did and when you have people that come alongside of you and lift you up and are not a stumbling block those people are worth their weight in gold and they are worth because God has given them a means of doing so. So understanding we're stronger together. Fourthly, we see individual advancement is meaningless. Individual advancement is meaningless. 
Yeah, there's sometimes when we say, you know what, I could get a little bit further if I just did it myself. Anybody ever done those kind of things? If you've been married long enough, you can say amen or oh man. I don't know which one you want to do. But, uh, but you say, you know, I can get ahead if you just let me do it myself. But I'm telling you, we each have something to bring to the situation. We each have some strength that's in our lives. And we were never intended to go on our own. We were never intended to have that mindset. And it was never about us individually advancing. It was about us in our lives as Christian believers to advance the kingdom. We are meant, you and me, to advance the kingdom of God. That means that we are to tell the good news to each and every person, whether or not they want to hear it. And you say, well, Pastor, that's kind of ugly. It steps on people's toes. But the truth is the truth. Whether you believe it or not, you need to have it before you. And so we are meant to do that. We are meant to advance the kingdom. We are never meant to be a Lone Ranger type Christian that goes out on our own and does our own things. That's not what we are intended to do. We were meant to have others around us. So you see in that as it unfolds, as it looks to in, verses, in chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, it says this as it talks about advancement, individual. As it talks about in verse 13, it says, But better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that... All who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. Verse 16 says, There was no end to all the peoples who were before him, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So individual advancement doesn't do a Christian any good. But advancement for the kingdom carries us all in the same direction. So looking forward to that and looking ahead to chapter 5 as we look at these last few verses. How many of you would honestly tell me that you have made a pact with God, a vow with God, a, a promise to God that says, God, if you are here or if you can hear me or if you deliver me or if you'll do this, God, I promise that I will live in this likewise manner. I believe you and I are given great hope through Jesus Christ. Amen? We are given great hope that we don't deserve. So how we live our lives in light of that, on this side of eternity, means and matters the very world to us. It means something when God says, in your deepest level of sinfulness, when you were just sin-stained beyond all comprehension, I sent Jesus to die for you. That you, knowing He had no sin, he took on your sin and my sin so that we would have freedom in Him. And so in that, He died. As He died, He rose from the grave. As He rose from the grave, He gave us an opportunity to know the Father. He once again says, you know what? There was a break in our relationship. There was a break in our understanding. But God, in His great love for us, sent Jesus to pay for our sins so that we might have freedom in Him. And I believe Jesus does this for you and me. As sin-stained and as, as sinful, as bad decisions we make at times, He comes to the Father and says, They are with me. 
here they are. They're not great. <laughs> they mess up. But there's something in their lives that I died for that I want them to know that they can come to you and they can know you. So we are... God has done in our lives, to engage in what God has done through redemption in our hearts, but then we are to understand that that godly vow in our lives causes us to live in a manner differently. There are many Christians that will get into the argument, and the argument kind of looks like this. I'm a Christian. I'm good. Now I just got to go through the motions. We were never created to go through the motions. When we became a Christian believer, that meant that we lived a life different than the one behind us in our past. We lived a life differently, and we marched to the tune of what God was leading us, where he was taking us to go. That's called repentance. That's called forgiveness. That's called eternal life. That's called all the things which God has done in our hearts and minds and lives, even though we don't deserve it. God has given us a great and mighty future. And because of that, we have to keep him as the main thing. Now, part of doing that, as we look at chapter 5, is that we need to guard our steps and listen. Let's look at verse 1 there. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Have you ever been in church? I'm guilty. Have you ever been in church and you're sitting there and you said, I wish sister so-and-so was here or brother so-and-so was here. They needed to hear that message. No one would ever say that, right? Some of y'all are looking down like I don't see you. But, but, but we, we, we often say that when God was speaking directly to us, in fact, he was coming with a bat and trying to help us understand into our heads and minds that, that he was desiring for us to hear and to know. And this passage says here that, that we, do, we need to approach him in such a manner. We need to guard our steps. We need to look to him and listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Meaning, meaning we don't need to just do things, something out of rote memorization or something out of a sense of just diligence of how we do things. We always do these things, so we do these things and they become meaningless. We need to do something out of complete adoration and love for God. We need to do something out of complete joy and understanding that the kingdom is at stake. We need to remember we were bought with a price. And part of that is guarding our steps and listening to Him. And not offering a fool's sacrifice. Verse 2 continues the same conversation about thinking about what we bring to God. Verse 2 says, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart. To utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. You know when we. When we find something out. We're quick to call about it. And let people know about it. But when we approach God and his holiness. Maybe you haven't been there lately. But it renders you speechless. Because God in His mighty holiness lets you and me come before Him, confessing all which is in our hearts and minds, praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ, lifting one another up to Him, praising Him for all that He has done. And what we bring to God, we need to let our words be few. 
If you've ever encountered this person, and, and if you haven't, this might be you, but if you ever encountered this person that you would say they like to hear themselves talk. They often talk so much, even if they ask you for something, as, as far as advice, they tend to talk right through it, as if they've got their mind already made up. You and I, seemingly and comparatively, are not meant to come to God and just talk, 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 because how are we going to hear from God if we're talking? And how are we going to know God if we're not listening and allowing for Him to teach us? We can talk all we want to, but nothing compares to an incomparable God who loves us and wants to speak to us so bad. So we need to let our words be few. Verse 3 tells us this. It explains the speech of a fool. It says, A dream comes when there are many cares and many works mark the speech of a, few, of a fool. Verse 4 says, urgent, it talks about the urgency. It says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools to fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. God be angry at you, say, and destroy the work of your hands. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, we need to fear God. There's an urgency in our lives to accomplish all the things each and every day that we think we have to accomplish, don't we? There's urgency in our lives to, to do things that we know tomorrow might not be there for. But there needs to be an even greater urgency in our hearts and minds to accomplish what we have been led to accomplish by God and have chosen to follow God in. Our vows to God, our pledge to God, our willingness to follow God needs to be prioritizing Him. I look at it this week and I kind of just... Uh, I kind of looked at it like this, and I kind of thought about it like this. I imagine God standing there as an expectant father of a wayward child, saying these things like, Have you forgotten me? Have you equated something more important than my vows? You know, this is kind of a contradictory argument to many people today to why they are not faithful as they should. I'm just going to take a break. I need a break from God. God never took a break from you and me. God never took a break from His love. God didn't say, you know what? You messed up. I'm out. God said, I love you. I want you to know the love that I have for you. I want you to know that every day is not going to be easy, but I want you to know that I am with you and I will never abandon you and I will never, never just leave you behind. We need to hold fast to Him. We need to learn Scripture. We need to know what God's Word says. We need to spend time in prayer because eventually what we deal with when we're backed up against the wall and life will come out, won't it? When you and I are dealing with life struggles and we are up against the wall in our lives, what's going to come out of our minds and hearts? Is it going to be the Word of God or is it going to be just, oh me, look at my struggles? Because when we are backed against the wall, what we truly believe in will come out. 
For many of us, we devote ourselves to flesh-filled priorities while our faith-filled promises no longer compel us. I and you and believers in Christ should be compelled by the Spirit of God to do all things for the glory of God. We should be compelled in our hearts and minds to seek after Him, to be faith-filled versus flesh-filled. We should be desired to do that. When we don't, when we don't, we are seemingly in agreement with our crumbling faith and connection to God. We are seemingly in agreement with that. I don't ever want us to get complacent to understand that, that our faith needs to be a faith that's growing. Our faith needs to be a faith of acknowledging our wrongs so that we might be righteous before God. Our crumbling faith should not be something that we're okay with. Often when things fall apart in our lives, and if you look at it, when things fall apart in our lives, it's often in comparison to how we are in our engagement with Christ, isn't it? When we are not spending time in the Word, when we're not praying, when we're not digging into God's Word, and we're not learning, and we're not growing, and we're not seeing life before us as an adventure that God has placed there before us, when we look at things in that way, we must change the way that we see that. So when adversity comes, when life becomes catastrophic, do we ponder where God is? I've often had people say, where is God in this time? Well, oftentimes I heard a, a preacher put it like this one time, that, that God has become in our lives prior to those kind of things, unimportant to us, and so we tell and show God that He is unimportant until we want to push the last resort emergency SOS button. Essentially, we treat God as if He's a break glass in case of emergency type God, don't we? We treat God as if He's that emergency flotation device under our seat as, as we're on an airplane wondering how that's going to help us if the plane goes down because we need a parachute. <laughs> We are thinking about things like that, that if it's only an emergency situation, then I will call out to God, and He is not a cosmic drive through window that we call out when there's just work out. He is meant to be our first. He is meant to be our first choice. And there's a newsflash behind all of this. Our devotion to God and our vows to Him are of the utmost importance. He is not a drive through He is not a, a break glass in case of fire. Nor is He a flotation seat if the plane goes down. He is God. And He is not comparable to anything in this world. And He will never be fulfilled by any human being. He is God. He is God and He has been. In the beginning, God created everything. You see, touch, smell, feel, anything and everything. I think even He created the mosquitoes to let us know how bad life can really get. I think that He created all of these things. And I know that He created them for a purpose, just like He created you and me for a purpose. See, see God created all of us for a reason. And we are meant to hold our devotion to Him up high and our vows to Him as the most important. So in this morning, as we look to how we might respond, and that is the greatest thing that we can do to any measure of Scripture, is we've got to respond. You know, it's kind of like if, if, if you have laid before you the truths of Scripture, we have to say, what will I do with what God has led me through this morning? 
What has God spoken to me about this morning? How has God used that scripture and that wiry old preacher up there to say something to me this morning? What do I need to do? Well, there are several things as we have a moment of invitation coming up that I want you to ponder or think about. Maybe you're here this morning. You need to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is the time. And if God is speaking to you, the guarantee of tomorrow or another moment is not there. But God in this moment wants you to know that he loves you. Wants you to know that he cares for you. Wants you to know that freedom through eternal life is possible only through him. And wants you to know that. Maybe you're here this morning and God wants you, secondly, to be compassionate and stand together and not stand alone. We are not meant to be lone rangers. We are meant to stand together and be strengthened in that. Thirdly, we are meant to fulfill our vows to God. Maybe you've made a vow to God that you haven't kept. Or maybe you said, you know what, I'll just do that tomorrow. Maybe I'll just do that tomorrow. And tomorrow never comes. And tomorrow becomes the next day and next year and the next year and the next year. And you end up at a place in your life where how did it get so bad? How did I get so separated from God's plan? If God has led you and wants you to do that, fulfill your vows to Him. But in everything, cry out to Jesus, fourthly. Because I believe we have a God in heaven who loves us beyond our faults, beyond our incapabilities and inconsistencies, beyond our lack of faith on some days. God still loves us and desires for us to have a plan beyond measure. That plan includes how we see and seek others. That plan includes how we love others. That plan includes the same compassion that was given to us. We are to have compassion for others. That same thing helps when we encourage others because they need it in their life to help them understand better what God has for them. The same sort of compassion goes when we understand our vow to God must not be something that we walk into lightly or take lightly. Our vows to God must be of the utmost importance. That means that we must hold the things of God high and we must not compromise. And I promise you that the world we live in today is all about compromise. Well, if you do this, it makes me feel like this. It's not about your feelings. It's about the one true God. Well, if you do this, you might get on somebody's bad side or might do something. I'm telling you, the Word of God says what it says. I just tell you what it says. The Scripture speaks for itself that God in heaven loves you enough to tell you the truth. And so I want to tell you the truth. And it's not about what Brother Jeremy does. It's about what God does. And so I want you to know with all love and with all sincerity... There, there may be some things in your life and my life we need to get correct and in order. And part of dealing with those things helps us understand that our commitment to God needs to be greater than our commitment to anything else in this world. So in this moment, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I pray. And then we're going to have a moment of invitation. And it's just primarily a moment for you to respond to what God's doing in your life. And so the altar's open, the front row's open, your seat's open, you can kneel where you are. I'll be right here if God's working in your heart where you need to have someone pray for you and pray with you. But don't leave here without listening to what God is saying this morning. Because I promise you, He's not talking to sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so. He's speaking to 